Well, uh, good morning. Great uh, to have you here. Special greetings to those joining us upstairs at Lake Forest Campus, Crossroads and Highland Park. Uh, now that it's fall, uh, happy summer, and I uh, hope you're taking advantage of this great weekend. I met a number of you yesterday. I was running, and in some part of that run, it goes along a bike path, and many of you greeted me. So I just finally, I, it, it kills me. I can't do this any longer. I have to let you know that um, I, so I'm very glad for the recovery that I've had from the brain injury and the stroke, and I'm 90 plus percent back. I've got some balance issues, I've got some sight issues, and one of the sight things is that when I'm jogging, I can't see faces. My eyes don't focus quickly enough to give me a clear face. So your brain just sort of fills in when that happens, so I get all these sort of generic faces, like a painter that just sort of puts a little flesh tone there. And I can, if I recognize your voice, then I might know who you are. Chances are I don't know who you are, but I still feel bad not saying anything when you say, hi, Mike, and I act like I, you know, could care less. So, uh, so greetings to the 12 people that said hello to me, hello to you, and uh, yeah, just know that I'm, I, I don't see faces when I'm jogging. And now you're going to say, do you drive a car? Yes. Because <laughs> when I'm driving, I'm sitting down and my head isn't bouncing around and I can focus. I see things there. But when I'm jogging, I don't see things. Okay, enough of that. So um, a while back, I was talking with a father who was telling me about his son's soccer game. His son is four or five. And he said that, uh, you know, it's chaos, had been. If you've been to a soccer game for, you know, four-year-olds, you know, there's this, you know, there's 22 little kids running around and just sort of a blob. They just sort of follow the ball. It's the perimeter is surrounded by coaches and parents that are yelling instructions and strategy. And, and the kids are just, they, all they do is kick. They kick the air, they kick each other, they kick the grass, they don't care which direction they kick the ball, they just kick. And after the game was over, this father said to his son, um, do you know, like, how to win? <laughs> do you know what you're trying to do in the game? And he, he hit on this line, put the ball in the net, okay? And the, the little boy had not understood that to be the goal, uh, so all that week they kept talking about when you play soccer, you're going to what? You're going to put the ball in the net, put the ball in the net. So that next, that next week he went out and he scores something like eight goals in the game, right? And it's not that he's a great, there's no shoe contracts coming, right? No European scouts coming out. He just was one of the only kids on the field that understood how to win in soccer. So this is, uh, the third week of this series, and we've been talking about our relationship with God and how, we, how that grows and how that's, that's the way forward. We were made by God. We were made for God. And uh, this relationship comes to us through Christ. And we've talked about, again, how we sort of, how we sort of lean in, uh, how we, we, we move to love God and serve others. And now the focus is on reaching one. I want to step back for a second and ask you a question. <laughs> do you know how to put the ball in the net? Right? In terms of your 
relationship with God, do you understand how this works? I'm fairly convinced that most people do not. So let me just say, do you even know why we're here today? Like, why do you show up every week? Well, most of you don't show up every week. But every month, why do you show up, right? Why do you come to church? What's the point? Why do we do this? So um, I believe that some people knew but have forgotten, and other people have never really understood this. And I think it's worth noting, uh, in, in the 30 years I've been a Christian, I have been at churches where I'm pretty convinced that y- y- we're meeting in order to be able to take an offering so that we can pay for a place to meet, to take an offering so that we can pay for a place to meet to take an offering. But there doesn't seem to be a whole lot other than that that's going on. And I know that when I talk with people, I hear some people who attend church because they've always attended church, or some people attend church because they have kids, and their kids need to go to church, or some people attend church because they feel guilty if they don't, and some people attend church because they're trying to court favor with God, and they believe that if they're there, they're more likely to get their prayers answered. There's all all kinds of reasons why people show up on a, a Sunday. Some of these reasons are better than others. But I would not suggest that any of those reasons are the same as putting the ball in the net. So let me say this. High level, right? We exist for God, right? We exist for God. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. And we are looking to live lives that add to his glory, that reflect who he is. We want to see his rule and reign expand. We want to see the kingdom of God. And a kingdom is where the king's rules apply. We want to see the kingdom of God expand. Right? We, want to, we want to live in a place where his will is done, where his grace and his love and his mercy and his holiness are, are embraced. And so uh, the way we do this, the way we expand The kingdom, the way we add to the glory of God is by leaning in more fully, giving more of our life to him, and also by bringing others along. And so, for the last 15 years, 16 years, I've been senior pastor now for 16, 17 years, and shortly after I came, we spent a whole long time sort of fine-tuning our purpose, our mission, And so we have talked about the fact that our mission as a church is to proclaim the good news and engage in good works, right? To proclaim the gospel, to talk about God's love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, the opportunity for forgiveness of sins, an empty tomb, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We exist to proclaim that news. And... We also exist to engage in good works, to love and serve people, everybody, especially focusing, as God highlights this in Scripture, on those that are hurting, on the poor, widows and orphans, aliens, right? There are people who are struggling, and God has has a particular focus on them, but we are to love people. We are to serve people. And 
part of the emphasis of that mission statement has been the fact that the word is and. So some churches are all about proclaiming the good news. They don't do such a good job about serving. Other churches are really good at serving. They don't do such a good job at proclaiming the good news. And we said, no, both of these matter, right? We are called by Christ to do both of these things. We can't do one and not the other. Now, we also, I have also argued that the order of these matters, right? We talk about proclamation in the gospel first because, well, let me say, not because the spiritual is more important than the physical, because the Bible never suggests that. That's Plato, not the Apostle Paul. So we don't say it for that reason, but because the eternal is more important than the temporal. And also because uh, there are lots of people that are looking to serve. Uh, this, we mentioned uh, just a second ago in, our, in the prayer here in Lake Forest, we talked about the Martinez family. So I talked with Jules yesterday. They, they, were, they were at Christ Church while he was doing his PhD. They've gone back down to Puerto Rico where he's a seminary professor and a pastor and church planner. And uh, we had sent them some money after Irma and been in contact with them and then lost touch with them after Maria went through. And so I was talking with him about the island in Puerto Rico and what's going on and how we can help. Thank you for your generosity. We've been able to send thousands of dollars to to do various relief, coordinating it through churches and people that we know uh, in various parts of the world that are in crisis right now. But... There's lots of people doing that, right? I mean, Christians and non-Christians are trying to help. They look at the need, and so you mobilize and you're trying to help. So there's lots of people trying to help. Good. But there's not many trying to talk about Christ. It's only the Christians that are saying to others, hey, God sent his son for you. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. So we prioritize right, the proclamation ever so slightly. And additionally, it's worth noting that the people who are most likely to give their time and money to help other people are Christ followers. So if you want more people to be serving and doing good works, one of the best ways to do that is to see more people come to faith. So we have always said, proclaim the good news and engage in good works. We've got this, this, we've got this, this order to it, but Clearly, the emphasis is on doing both of these things. And we have talked about this as being the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not for people to show up on Sunday morning, right? That's a means to an end. The the purpose is not that you would be here. We gather here to be part of God's mission. God has a mission, right? And the church exists to help God's mission, (laughs) That's why we're here, to be reminded, to be realigned, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be about God's mission. So, how are we doing? Well, big picture, quite well. So, Matthew 16 is the, is the first moment where this idea of a church is introduced. So Jesus, it's a, it's a famous passage. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and the question is, uh, uh, who do people say that I am? 
And they go, oh, some say you're Elijah, and some say John the Baptist, and some say this. And he says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, great answer, Peter. Such a good answer. I know you didn't come up with that on your own. God in heaven gave you that answer because that is the perfect answer. And then he says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is the first time that this idea of a church shows up. Right? And, and so the term church, Greek word ekklesia, had been used to describe political movements in Greek philosophy, but it was an obscure term, nobody used it, and then Jesus says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build a collection of people who are going to be following me and are going to be advancing my kingdom. So we get it there, Matthew 16, and then at the end of Christ's uh, time on earth, just before he ascends into heaven. So Jesus lives, he dies, crucifixion, rises again, and then there's 40 days after he rises from the dead, physical body walking around before he ascends into heaven. And during the, just before the last part of his time on earth, before he ascends to heaven, he turns to his, his followers and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And this is sort of a, the great commission. This is a, this is a statement of the mandate of his followers. Get out there and tell others about me and help them grow in all the things that I have taught you. Baptize them, have them make a public identification with me, baptize them, help them grow so they in turn can pay it forward with somebody else. This is the group of people who are going to be part of God's church. And then in the book of Acts, so we've got four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, four stories of Christ, then we've got the book of Acts, which tells what happens the next 30 years. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, we get one more sort of foreshadowing of what's coming. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So the Spirit of God is going to fall on you, and then you're going to start telling others about me, and in concentric circles, the church is going to grow. And in fact, then we turn the page in Acts chapter 2, that's what we see on Pentecost. So 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit of God falls on a small group, not nearly as big as the the numbers gathered uh, today, Uh, but the Spirit of God falls on them in an upper room and they are empowered by God's spirit and they spill out in the streets and they start telling people about Christ. And, And it's from that moment that the church is born and will grow. And every week, every week, that group will come back together for prayer, for worship, for studying of, the, of God's word, the writings and teachings of the apostles, and for the sacraments, baptism and uh, Holy Communion. Every week, the group will come back together to encourage one another to be realigned so that they can go out and take this message. And, uh, and if you read through the book of Acts, you know that... Um, 
the church uh, almost immediately faces persecution. There's a couple days where people are, are sympathetic with Christ's followers. But pretty quickly they're not. And so it's hard. But nevertheless, the church grows like a weed. It just goes in every, it's a brush fire. It starts to spread. And it's pretty chaotic and messy. Uh, it, it, the Apostle Paul will, will come along, and, and the Apostle Paul sort of has one speed, and that is just get in the car, push the gas pedal to the floor, and everybody hangs on. And so it's chaos. Uh, I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago, saw a friend who used to work at Microsoft way back in the day, and now he's at Amazon, and he makes reports into Jeff Bezos. And I said, so, what's Bezos like? And he said, well, it's an interesting company. He said, we're all about expansion. <laughs> we're all about growing. We're all about more. We're all about bigger. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, it sounds like the Apostle Paul, right? Paul was all about more, more people coming to faith, more people hearing about Christ. And so Paul would go into a, a town, he'd go into a city, and he would go to the synagogue, and he would preach. He was a Jewish rabbi, this was, this was sort of protocol, but he would preach a different message. He'd say, guess what? The long-promised Messiah has showed up, he's Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and the response to this would be some people would sign up and say, finally, I'm in. I'm going to be a Christ follower. And others would get really mad. And Paul would make them even madder until eventually there's some sort of fight and a riot. And Paul would get arrested and he'd end up in prison. And uh, then he'd lead the jailer to faith. And then he'd lead prisoners to faith. And after a few days, they'd let him go. And he would go to this group of people, who, have, you know, the jailers and the prisoners and the others who had come to faith. And he would work with them for uh, in most cases, a couple months. In a couple cases, longer. It looks like a year or two. And then he would leave. They didn't want him to leave. So we've got these scenes where he's leaving and everyone's going, no, you can't leave us. We're not ready. And he goes, no, no, it's time to go on because other people need to hear about Christ. And so he would appoint leaders. And then he would go to the next village and he would go to the synagogue and he'd preach. Some people would come to faith. There would be a riot. He would get arrested. And while he's in prison in the next village, he would write a letter back to the church he had just started. And he would say, okay, I hear you're having some problems, right? And so much of the New Testament is Paul writing letters back to these churches. And he's saying things like, don't fight, get along. No one should be sleeping with their mother, right? I mean, it's crazy stuff you read in there. People say, we should be, I wish we were pure like the early church. You know, they had a couple good days. After that, it was chaos. And all kinds of crazy things were happening because they would appoint leaders really, really quickly because the emphasis was on get more people into the kingdom of God. And so we read about that in the book of Acts. It's the first 30 years. And after the book of Acts ends, there's a, there's a couple hundred years where it's illegal to be a Christ follower, but there's a, there's a period there where Christianity is spreading throughout the Roman Empire even though it's illegal. And then we got a little demarcation when Constantine comes to power and, he, and it's no longer, after Constantine is in charge, no longer illegal to be a Christ follower. And we get a hundred years there in that realm before Rome falls at the beginning of the 5th century, the barbarians sack Rome, the holy city spreads, and Europe goes into the dark ages. 
And so we got, we got a couple hundred years where the church is trying to help uh, the civilization. We've lost literacy. We've lost trade. There's all kinds of chaos. And the church is what is going to rise up and be sources of, of serving others, of trust, of love, of, of education. And so we see Europe move out of the Dark Ages and into what we call the Middle Ages or Christendom. It's about a thousand-year period. And I always joke, nobody knows what happens there. Most people don't know anything more about the Middle Ages than what they picked up watching Monty Python movies. That's, the, that's the, sort of the sum total of the Middle Ages. Lots of things happened, many of them remarkably good. But there were mistakes that get made by Christians. We've got the Crusades and the Inquisition, and there's some splits, one in the 11th century between the East and the West. And then there's a, a, another split that happened in the 16th century between uh, in the Western Church, and we end up with the, with the Catholic Church and Protestants. And so we are coming up uh, in just a month on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. I'm actually going to Germany in two weeks to sort of do a little Reformation tour, all the places where Martin Luther was, where he nailed the door on the, the castle in Wittenberg. So there, there was a split. There, was, there were problems. But by and large, right, this church that Jesus started with a group of uneducated people, not very impressive people, he says, I'm going to start this, and it's going to prevail. And the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. And in fact, that's what happened. The church has grown, and it is now the largest, the most global, the most influential, political, educational, cultural kind of force on the planet. And it has grown. So where are we at at this moment? Well, uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, though the church has exceeded expectations and though it is growing, continues to grow rapidly uh, around the world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, it's not growing very much at the moment in the West, so in Western Europe or in the United States. Um, sort of, um, there's reasons for that, but it, it's, a, it's a problem. How is Christ Church doing? Well, uh, in many ways, it's doing very well. There's, there's always stuff to be encouraged by. Yesterday, I was at the Highland Park. The, the, um, I was in Highland Park, Highwood, because the Highland Park campus was running a mobile food bank. And then I was back here for the service, and I, things were happening over across. There's, there's lots of good things happening. But uh, about 18 months ago, we said, you know, it doesn't read a lot like the book of Acts right now. <clears throat> and we need, to, we, need to, we need to find the gas pedal. And so we spent some time, elders, deacons, staff, there have been various teams and working on this. We spent some time and we said, we want to we shake things up a little bit. And so we, we came out with a new mission statement, which we introduced this summer at the annual meeting and since then, to, that we want to help people. We want to help people discover life with God. And we want to fuel a movement that is going to reach people and renew communities. 
Like we want to see the brush fire, right? We want to fuel a movement. We want other churches to go and grow. We want to do what we can to fuel a movement where people are discovering life with God. We're reaching people and renewing communities. And so you'll be hearing more about that uh, as that unfolds. But here's what I want to leave you with. Four sort of animating ideas as we think about not just loving God and serving others, but as individuals of reaching one. I want to leave you with four things. First of all, we need to be reminded that God's heart is for the lost. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved you and me, lost enemies, that's sort of the Greek, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet actively rebelling with God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and we hear that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told that, that God delays sort of the unfolding of his plan somehow because he doesn't want any to perish, right? He wants everybody to come to eternal life. He wants everybody to hear about Christ. And I was reading this week, I went back and I was reading the, uh, the section of the parables where, where Jesus is talking about lost things. So he talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And as I was reading that, I was reminded uh, of a time when we lost a son. Uh, just for a few minutes, uh, those of you who are not parents are thinking... Uh, Wow, how lame are they that they could lose their child? And those of you who've had kids are going, oh, yeah, it happens. Um, so we were, at a, uh, we were together with our small group. There was, I think, five couples. We would, so this is 20 years ago, uh, and, and uh, everybody's got young kids. And so there's just a, you know, more than a dozen kids under the age of 10. And so we're going to a, a farm to pick pumpkins, and they've got bobbing for apples and they've got a corn maze and they got all this stuff. So we get on the hay, the hay wagon. We're on the hay wagon going through, you know, policing the fights of people putting straw on each other's backs and all the stuff that's going on. When all of a sudden Sherry says, where's Jason? Who is three at the time. And of course, everybody instantly, all the adults instantly snap into, oh, we got a lost kid. We're looking around. And and, you know, she and I make eye contact. It's obvious. Jason is not on this, on this ride. We've been on this ride now for, you know, five, ten minutes. This is now, you know, a three-alarm fire. And as parents can do, I sort of jump straight up out of the wagon and somehow propel myself out of the back of it. And I start running, sort of dark, but I am sprinting back to this big area where everything is happening. And uh, praying and, you know, like, oh, my goodness, what happened? And I, I run in, and I, I can see there's a group of people. And as I'm l- looking at this group of people that sort of form this little crowd, I go, yes, that has all the earmarks of other parents, <laughs> right, surrounding this three-year-old going, okay, right, this, this, this kid should not be alone. He's obviously in distress. And 
but, but Jason, as I got closer, I could hear him screaming no, and I would later hear that he wouldn't let anybody touch him. He just kept, you know, everybody at arm's length yelling no, but he's crying, and so they were there for him. So I come running in, and I yell, Jason, right? And, of course, he runs and jumps in my arms, and, and I remember him after a couple minutes going, okay, Jason, <clears throat> you're going to have to let go of my neck because he was so just clamped on, Right? And I'm crying, and it's, you know, it's, it, and it was a moment of thinking I had a lost child. So God describes people as lost, right? <laughs> he describes people that are not reconciled to him as lost. And as a parent, you just had to put yourself in that mindset and say, God has a heart for lost people. I need to be animated by the fact that this is how he views people that are far from him. They are lost. The second thing that, that um, we need to understand is that we are the plan. So this could be complicated, and I know there's Trinity students here, and uh, so, I, you know, yes, there's all predestination and God's foreknowledge and all that stuff. No, no, let's just, let's just look at, at one set of facts here, right? We are told that we are to tell other people about Christ, and we are told that, uh, that the harvest is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? That there's lots of people who would come to faith, but, but, but we're not out there doing what we need to do. And uh, this has got to change, right? This has to animate us. So I was struck this week, skimming through the book of Acts, that the Apostle Paul would do pretty much anything, right? And that's what he says. I will do whatever it takes. I will, I will become all things to all men. I will do this. For this for the weak person, I'll become weak. I'll, the strong, I'll become strong. I'll do whatever it takes in order to win some. And I heard one pastor uh, a while ago say, we will do, as a church, we will do anything short of sin to see people come to faith. So, God has a heart for the lost. We are the plan. Number three, the plan is simple. Which doesn't mean it's easy. But it's simple. It's just us blessing people. right? So, it's the language that uh, we started to use this summer. To bless is simply to begin with prayer, to listen, share a meal with somebody, eat, to, to serve them, and then, as God allows, to share with them, especially as you hear the knocks, right? As people say to you, oh, it's, it's not going so well, or I'm not from around here, or I'm not certain what I'm going to do next, right? As people express any sort of challenge to say, hey, you know what, uh, let me pray for you. Right? I mean, it sounds like you're in a tough spot. Let me, to take a next step. I saw a video this week that, that was being prepared for other reasons. I thought, this is perfect for this sermon. So I want to run this video. It's a short video about um, someone who has recently come to faith. Can we run that? Hi, my name is Tom Nemec, and I go to Christ Church Crossroads. My journey started uh, by meeting Ruby. We started a date, and I found out that she was going to Christ Church. And I didn't have any connection to church. I didn't feel um, 
any desire to go uh, or to pursue my faith. I found out that Ruby was going to be baptized and I really uh, wanted her to go. I wanted to be part of that. I hadn't been to any kind of service in years and years. Just having community and then prayer uh, through uh, song and singing uh, really caught me off guard. The message was uh, wonderful. And it was an amazing thing. It really touched my heart. Seeing everybody get together and being part of this thing just because of what the church had done and what everybody else was pursuing too, which was to pursue Jesus and to, to learn about faith. It was an amazing thing to me. Ruby introduced me to hundreds of people she knew. My head was spinning, but one of the people she had introduced me to was a gentleman named Mark. Mark invited me to a men's group called The Forum. And really, The Forum is what brought me into the church. I was blown away by this group of gentlemen, uh, all these people, these folks who were in this room to, to learn about what this uh, speaker had to say. I remember many a times Ruby would tell me, okay, I'm gonna go to church, you're welcome to come with me. And I'd be a little, a little standoffish about it, but I'd go to the forum. Something had opened up in me. I, I felt the need to, um, to pursue my faith, to, to take the next step and, and to maybe open up a little bit. Took the plunge, went to an 11 o'clock service, um, didn't know what to expect. I was always waiting for the sales pitch, for the person to come to me and say, sign these papers, do this thing, you have to do this to be that. And it never came. It was community, it was worship, it was pursuing faith. Just really opened my heart. And later I decided to uh, take the next step and do a alpha class. Through Mark and also through Paul, I was able to learn about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And here I am today. So many blessings have come from that simple step of just having somebody who had opened up their heart to me. Uh, it's amazing. So here I am, um, you know, married, pursuing Christ, finding joy in, in the Bible. I have more family now than I ever had. So sometimes it uh, takes a village and someone coming to faith is a process. And we're we try to be set up for that, right? That there's... That there's entry points. And so sometimes it's the forum or it's the woman's Christmas tea or it's, it's coming to a service or it's alpha or there's a, all kinds of things that we're trying to set up to say, look, let's help people take a step back to God. The last thing I'm going to say is that, um, that this plan works. And not just because you saw it work with Tom, but it works um, because it's very simple. So let's imagine nobody else does anything except you. And this next year, right, you decide to pray, to bless somebody. You're going to pray with them. You're going to listen to them. You're going you're to love them. You're going to share a meal with them. You're going to look for an opportunity to, to serve them and then to share the faith with them. They come to faith. So at the end of one year, there are just two of you. 
But uh, at the end of two years, because you're going to do it again, you're excited now. At the end of two years, there's one other person, plus that person has led someone to faith. So now there's four of you. At the end of three years, there's eight of you, right? So at the end of 10 years, there's 512 of you. And at the end of uh, 20 years, there's, there's a half million of you. And at the end of 30 years, there's 536 million, 870,912 of you. Because you decided, right, I'm going to bless somebody. That's what we're asking, right? And I know the statistics say that 98% of Christ's followers have never led anyone to faith. I would say, you know, it's really hard to grow if you're not seeing people come to faith. It changes you to be involved with them. It changes how you think about everything, small groups and Bible studies and everything else that's going on, if you're walking alongside somebody who's new to faith. And so I want to invite you into that process, right? I want to say the way forward, the way for you to grow in relationship with God is to love him, serve others, and reach one. And this week, it's a very simple assignment. Have one spiritual interaction with somebody. And that can be as simple as this. It can be as simple as you offering to pray with somebody or if somebody says, you ask somebody how they're doing and they say it's not going well, to just say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you this week. That's it. I mean, just, it's just a little seed, but I will pray for you this week. Or how can I pray for you this week? Of course, you can always invite somebody back next week. We have, you know, uh, Luis Palau is, has, has spoken to a billion people on the planet. I mean, he's one of the most gifted evangelists in the history of the world. And he's here, so you can invite somebody back here uh, next weekend. But I want to encourage you, right? The way forward is love God, serve others, reach one. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the church. We thank you for an opportunity to learn and grow and try and uh, encourage one another to love and good deeds. Pray for eyes to see the opportunities that are around us, of people who are otherwise distracted uh, until life doesn't work, and then they realize that there is an ongoing hunger for something more. Help us to see that. Help us to be uh, a bit more like Paul. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.